Khalid, and this is the Unlearning Podcast, the show where we hear stories and interviews with myself and guests that reveal rules, beliefs, and behaviors that are actively or have in the past prevented us from moving closer to living our most authentic and liberated lives. At the Unlearning, there really is no topic too silly or too serious for us to examine together. So join us each episode as we pull up the hood on why it is we do what we do and the areas in our lives that could benefit from an unlearning. So happy holidays. (laughs) How was your Thanksgiving, Naughty? My Thanksgiving was good. Dinner was on time. The food was plentiful. There was to-go containers. My waistband was elastic. (laughs) Actually, I didn't have a waistband because I wore a dress. (laughs) So it was good. And then, oh, telling you about my leftover Thanksgiving nachos. What that consists of is like a layer of tortilla chips, two cups of your shredded turkey, I wish I didn't have any leftovers, but if there had been macaroni and cheese, I would have put that on there. And then you dice a tomato. Um, I used green onion, but you can use like regular onion, um, cilantro. And then I used two types of cheese, Colby Jack. And then because it was Thanksgiving, I used like the macaroni and cheese shredded blend. Mm -hmm. And I put it like in the oven for like 10 minutes on 400. And then at the end, when I put it on my plate, oh, sliced jalapenos was on there also. So avocado? that's like the nachoy stuff. I put the avocado on at the end. Um, also fresh cilantro leaves. And then um, I heated up some of the um, turkey gravy and like drizzled that and some dollops of Ooh. cranberry sauce. Cause I, I made fresh cranberry sauce just to go with the nachos. It was excellent. That sounds amazing. It was good. you guys hear that, that's the post-Thanksgiving hack of 2021. Yep. Have some... Holiday leftover nachos. holiday leftover nachos. It was actually courtesy of the website Bless Her Heart, which I also appreciated. Yeah, I did a Google search for Thanksgiving nachos. And And is that blessherheart.com? Yes, I think it's blessherheart.com is a website. Good on her for getting that um, <laughs> domain. Right. <laughs> we should get Oh Honey. <laughs> ah, right. Oh Honey Bless and Be Well. <laughs> I'm sure Be Well is probably taken. Yes. So, yeah, no. So, last time we got together, we were talking about the ridiculousness of Disney and, oh, and just being chosen. Being chosen. Um, we walked with you guys down that conversation and we were really grateful to hear the feedback from you guys and just for the people who it resonated with. So glad that you can understand where we were coming from. For those who it didn't, I'm so glad for you guys if that did not resonate. If you were taught from the beginning to choose yourself, good on you. Today we are, we're just kind of batting around a few different things. One area we want to take a stop at is the idea and the shadow of selfishness, which if you guys are not familiar with the term shadow, we're talking about shadow work that you can do as an adult, which takes you back to your inner child. And as children, we all have things that we do in order to protect ourselves from traumatic events or just emotions that were too much for us to handle as kids. And what we do is we tend to have something form that can be called a shadow or coping mechanism that helps to keep us safe. And shadows can also be formed when we are accused of being too much, too little, selfish, vain, whatever it is. It can be really anything. It depends on your family dynamic. Um, But one of the common shadows that people kind of run from is the idea of being selfish. In our society, we are taught that selfishness is a bad thing. And again, that kind of does loop back to Nadi, what we were talking about before about not choosing ourselves. We have this culture that kind of reinforces self-sacrifice, martyrdom. Particularly for women. 
So let's start with a good old definition. You know, I like to have clarity around what is it and what is selfishness because sometimes it gets skewed, right? So I have an iPhone, so I typed selfish into Safari. The the <laughs> I'm just saying this this isn't Merriam Webster. <laughs> I'm just saying what this is from. This is not iPhone snobbery. Um, selfish adjective of a person action or motive that is lacking consideration for others concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure so that to me right there off the bat the definition kind of gives a little hint at the complexity because I think there's a difference of being chiefly concerned with yourself and lacking consideration for others you know because there might be times where you need to prioritize yourself but just because you're prioritizing yourself doesn't mean that you have to be deafened and deadened to how things might impact other people but I think sometimes we may need to be selfish because in terms of what you described or with different ar archetypes, wives, girlfriends, mothers, but even men, you know, as providers, there's this societal thing that is put upon you that says you're not a good mother or you're not a good provider if you don't sacrifice and go down with the ship and give your last drop of your essence for said group of people you know which before we started the podcast you were talking about as as a person if you give until your reserves are empty that's kind of game over right I mean you have nothing left to give to anyone else and you have nothing left to replenish yourself so that you could keep giving to others so you know w what is the point and how does one in this modern time reconcile selfishness? So in my explorations recently as the shadow of selfishness is one that I do deal with and will deal with my whole life because I've gotten to the realization that like our shadows aren't something that just go away. Um, how we interact with them and express them becomes different and yes, we can transcend them but it's not necessarily a situation where one day we're just going to not have any shadows. Um, and what I have been helped by recently is the guidance and insight given by a few different authors. But starting with Richard Rudd, he talks about two different definitions and expressions of selfishness. And I didn't think I was selfish most of my life. And in reading his definition, I can understand why. He says that there is a repressive nature and a reactive nature. Um, and these are two different ways that people can um, express selfishness. And yes, there can be people who have both ways that they express it, but usually it's one or the other. And from looking at the work of Nicola Perra, I can understand why, because it really just depends on what, as we keep saying, we were modeled in childhood. And the repressive nature is about a shadow that manifests a self-sacrifice, which is, in a sense, giving away your personal power to people rather than giving from your heart. You're giving to others, he says, without any natural uh, sense of boundary, which either leads you to being taken advantage of or to feeling resentment from the receiver and resentment yourself. And he goes down this path and says that, you know, the laws of life state that there must be a mutually beneficial exchange in order for a relationship to remain healthy. And the repressed nature is afraid of its own dark side and tries to gloss over it by expending all of our energy on others. <laughs> this really resonated to me because I, I didn't feel selfish. I had been talked a lot when I was little about what selfishness was and in order to not be perceived as selfish like giving to others and prioritizing everybody else before you and having a mom who really 
constantly was giving. Now I can see beyond her limits. And thinking, you know, that's the way that I needed to be in order to be seen as good and not selfish. Um, And he goes on and says that, you know, giving this way does more harm than good because inevitably you deplete your own resources and gradually wear down your own health. That in a nutshell is a lot of what I've seen played out in my relationships until I recognized this. And this has been a slow awakening that's come in stages, but I'm at a point now where I'm like, oh, this is definitely me. I was so scared of being seen as selfish that I wanted to control the perception of others on a subconscious level to see me as a good person. And my way of doing that was prioritizing and giving beyond my limits and making my needs come last. And the thing I kept experiencing was people not appreciating that. And that's because the energy in which I was giving was not a place of giving from the heart. You know, at the end of the day, it's because I'm scared of facing my own darkness and having fear vibrating from me. And also, I think a sense of control, you know, trying to control others' perceptions and my own perception of self rather than just being willing to look at myself with all my faults and lean into it and find a way to work through it left me um, unfulfilled in relationships, which has changed now, which I'm so grateful for. And he also talks about the reactive nature, which is this is the side of the shadow where people are giving with an agenda and what they can get back. And it's more conscious because they're giving from the mind and not from the heart. And that energy, he talks about how that basically creates an, its own aura of like manipulation and encourages distrust. So people who are doing that, they've been modeled that in their, in their childhoods. They've been modeled, you know, manipulative behaviors where things are given and then held over people's heads or there's some sort of spoken or unspoken exchange that's going on that does not have to do with just giving from the heart and the reactive nature tends to have a latent anger that's residing inside of them that tends to come to the surface sometimes explodes to the surface when they don't have the response that they want or when people don't treat them the way that they expect to be treated because they've given X, Y, or Z. And, you know, again, that's learned in childhood and it's a pattern. And whether you're on the repressive side or you're on the reactive side, we're all carrying these ancestral patterns. And because we, during that first seven years to 14 years, have our mirror neurons downloading these programs from our families, that's where this idea of ancestral, patterns come in because we're raised by our parents and our parents were raised by theirs and it it is passed down through our ancestral line and so just hearing all of that and and reading all of that whether it was Richard Rudd's definitions or looking at Nicola Pear who really goes a little more um, in depth around this like modeling of the patterns that we see in childhood and understanding that there's really nothing to be ashamed of that these This wasn't our choice. We were modeled it, we downloaded the program, and now we can, with awareness, become conscious and change how we're we're playing these things out. That was all very helpful. As we know ourselves and understand what our needs are, very few people can advocate for us in the way that we can, but sometimes what we really need is to advocate for ourselves to show ourselves that we're choosing ourselves, not somebody externally doing it, because then does that set up the framework where somebody's always got to come in and save you from yourself? It is a, it's a thing to be able to speak up on behalf of yourself and to feel okay, you know, doing that, to feel empowered and to know that you need to do that Because in those moments, I think that you are showing yourself love, which is kind of becomes a reinforcement, but also you're teaching people 
what your limits are, what your boundaries are in, in every moment, you know, you're kind of, you're doing that. And so I think that I'm probably hardwired as an only child to consider myself, you know, probably around like 2014, 2015, I was at the height of frenzied social interaction like doing all the things you know my calendar is always booked and busy and somebody kind of just cavalierly asked but why like what are you doing it for and I thought I knew and like fixed myself with my best poindexter index finger ready to say actually it's because and I like kind of pause and I'm like why am I doing this and so then that kind of goes back to ego like what principle are you acting from is it ego like I need to do this to be seen is it self-fulfilling is it authentic you know and I think as we allow ourselves time to think and evaluate what those motives are you can start to separate the wheat from the chaff. Like, oh, this is performance. I'm doing this because I want to be seen as, or I have this social archetype that's constructed that I don't know how to get out of. And then it becomes like a trap, you know? But are you happy at the center of all of that? Are you tired, you know? And all the altruism and Mother teresa doesn't mean anything if at the core... They're like, fuck these motherfuckers. I don't, you know, soup kitchen my ass. You know what I mean? Like, so yes, you're doing something maybe for people, but I do think the the feeling and the authenticity and the emotion and vibe behind it is equally important as the action. Or even more important than the action is the thing that I'm starting to see. And maybe it can go back and forth, but first off, when it comes to just understanding like we have a ripple effect and what do we want that ripple to be do we want that ripple to be something that is extending out from us spreading love light and joy or wisdom or truth because truth isn't always like light and pretty or do we want to be out there spreading negative energy because i know that i did for a very long time do so much for others and there was part of me that was getting resentful And then there's another part that made me realize it's because I was doing it for some sort of return, an identity, a feeling of worthiness, instead of doing just to do. And of course, that takes me back to like what these conversations tend to be about, which is again, looking at these patterns that we have been modeled. And so I wanted to just kind of walk down memory lane for us and say where do you think you first learned about selfishness and what was taught to you about it because i have a feeling you you and i will probably have different perspectives since our childhoods were so different i mean i think probably as an only child i was mostly indoctrinated or i encountered a lot of people who would assume that i was a certain way because I was the only child, oh, you're spoiled rotten, aren't you? Or you're like, you're bratty. And that would hurt my feelings. And it would also be shocking. Because if you know Robert and Evelyn, you knew nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> like, But also, I mean, I did grow up kind of steeped in service. You know, my family's always, just always doing something. You know, my mom worked at the local hospital. And she just had her causes like at her hospital she became very involved with diversity and inclusion and I you know as a kid you know your mom's just your mom or your parent is just your parent but it wasn't until I was older and they had an incident at the hospital where a woman was having a baby she was you know um she was I think in labor and her husband requested that no people of color, black people, um, come into her room or like, you know, work on her. And 
the hospital or whoever maybe the charge nurse like actually accommodated that request and so it you know i mean it's fine you gotta have grace for people like i'm sure there is a little bit of shock but um when that kind of request comes up and so maybe the thought is just to placate like am i really trying to fight on the grounds of civil rights when this woman's water is breaking or she's dilating you know what i mean i i my mom became hugely active in like they have like a diversity committee um in that way my dad's always been devoted in service like through wait your mom created a diversity committee she was on she was on the committee and very active she did not create the committee but there was a hullabaloo. <laughs> Not a hullabaloo. <laughs> yeah. You know, and a dust up after that. So I think the diversity committee was the hospital's response to that. And my mom, okay. I guess, was approached to be on it. And she took it, like, very seriously. And my dad just has always been about service a lot through his church. But also, like, doing meals on wheels. Or just, you know, like, helping people. Yeah. And I think... I'm astrologically inclined, you know, to service towards others, but also as an only child, I didn't even really have to be selfish because there was just three of us, my, me, my yeah, mom, so and my dad. Yeah, so it doesn't sound like at home you were getting the messaging that you were being selfish ever. No, I would mostly encounter it through mm-hmm. other people when they found out that I was an only child and kind of assuming things, but... Yeah. I didn't even really have to be selfish because my formative years, like having a nuclear family of just three people, it was great. Uh, we would just come home. Everyone would come together, form like Voltron for dinner. Yeah. And then after dinner, everyone would go to their separate wherever. My dad would do whatever he was doing, tinkering with stuff in the mm-hmm. basement. My mom's doing crossword puzzles in her room and everyone just left me alone so I could have as much free time and alone time as I wanted and it wasn't until maybe like late college that I felt like Oh, I got to get away from these people. Like early college, it was cool because I never had siblings. So like, yeah. you know, sharing rooms, roommate, whatever. So that was like cool for two years. But after the 30, I was like, mm. Done. yeah. And I think definitely going into being a parent mm. and parenting, like I had to have that conversation with myself you know just a reminder like yo you cannot (laughs) go down with the ship and let you know babies can literally drain you of energy sleep if you're breastfeeding like milk nutrients you know and so everything possible yes and i mean that does like ring true if you let yourself get depleted what do you have left to give to your baby or anyone else so you know that is kind of where my inner emotional rosie the riveter like we can do it you know just kind of was like "Mm, girl you got to keep something for Mm -hmm. you otherwise and just telling yourself i think again society vilifies women um well and that kind of ties into my experience of what i learned about selfishness as a young girl i wasn't really getting the like you're so selfish between the ages of like zero and seven um but what i was getting is this model of my mom my mom a hundred percent like would give give more than she had and the comments that i would hear about other moms who didn't do all of that did revolve around a narrative of like oh well you know they're selfish type of things and not in this hugely judgmental way but more like not everybody loves their family as much as I love you guys. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, it wasn't like straight out, she's a bad mom, she's a bad person, but little comments, and not just from my mom, but like just from the women in my family or my mom and her friends, you know, just hearing conversations. There was this sense of being a good mom, being a good woman meant 
making sure everybody else was taken care of. And I didn't see my mom rest a lot. You know, there was not this picture of her. She never, like, took a vacation on her own. There were no, like, girls' trips. You know what I mean? Like, the most that she she did was, like, a walking group with other women where they would, like, walk and, you know, talk about whatever was going on at home. So, yeah, everything that I saw was this, like, give, give, give. Everything should be neat. Everything should be presentable. Your your kids, your husband, your house. And then at the very end, you should be, like, running to the bathroom to just slap on some lipstick because <laughs> the company is over for dinner. You know what I mean? Um, make sure the house is clean. Do the whole meal. Everybody's kind of just helping this idea of... Really, her job is to do everything, and we help wherever she says, like, we need to help. And so I never thought about that until I got into my own family early on in my first marriage, and I realized immediately I was just, without even thinking about it, playing into this role. And realizing the level of work it took to take care of the kids, have, and I have one son, but you know, at that time I, we had um, two other of my ex-husband's brothers living with us. And so, you know, three kids, I was like 22 and I was really trying to be, I'm going to say it wrong, Betty Homemaker, Betty Crocker. Yeah. Betty Crocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And realizing that I was very empty. Um, And that isn't something that I stopped after getting that divorce. You know, I found that the minute I got into another relationship, I again would automatically switch over into this caretaker figure that really represented everything that I had seen and was modeled for me growing up. It only wasn't my last relationship in the last year that I started to be like, wait a minute, I literally am the one who is doing most of the house cleaning or taking responsibility for the house cleaning that was happening by like a cleaner who was coming in. But in between, it was still me for the most part. And it did make me feel good to have the house clean, but it did not leave me in this space of feeling my best self, feeling creative, feeling like it wasn't my passion to be cleaning. And so finding that new balance of what I feel comfortable with um, was really important. And that kind of led me into thinking about, well, am I being selfish? If everybody doesn't have what they have, if the house isn't super clean, if everything, if all these household boxes aren't getting checked, is that really on me? And why am I thinking it is? And so walking myself backwards, realizing, oh, this is a pattern that I was modeled, which kind of opened the doors to other areas of selfishness in my life. And What I have found is actually a healthier thing for me now is to actually embrace my selfishness to really take away the shame and stigma around it, own it, and then find a way to use it to be able to make sure my cup is full. And by doing that, I can now show up in everything else that I'm doing with so much better energy. So... I guess I'm promoting selfishness in a way right now. (laughs) Well, so when I was listening to what you were just saying, I think what, there's a couple things that I wanted to address. A, societal expectation and archetypes and how we fall into them. Like, it's so tough to realize how deeply entrenched and ingrained, like, these gender roles and just the societal, like, norms and mores are propagate it and how they become a trap because you know this goes back to what we talked about about being chosen it is it is performance you know there's kind of like not an old wives tale but just a saying like the way you start is the way you finish so it's Mm. like yes everyone starts out trying to be the archetype that we're told that like cisgendered men like you know somebody who can clean up somebody who can cook you know way to a man's heart is through his stomach and all of these things where i happen to love doing those things but you have a you have a a lot of people who don't know how and 
for them it's a chore but they feel like they have to play this part to get someone and then the gift and the curse is that it works and so now you gotta you're not just the understudy like now you've taken over this role and, and this you is- sold yourself on this idea of like oh this is something that comes in my package always right and you have like you straight up have kind of lied and like oh you could hate cooking or whatever but you want to be seen in a certain kind of light so you're selling it yeah and then they're buying it and then you've got to and that doesn't have to be cooking because like you said you love cooking i absolutely love cooking but whatever the thing is whether yeah. it's cooking or not. Because I ain't going to do no baseboards. But that. Don't look at the baseboards. <laughs> look at your plate. Okay. No, and also, like, just... Okay, I think that kind of opens a tiny door, which we can tie it back to selfishness or not. That's selling yourself on the front end when you're, like, in the dating process. Like, people... You're not selling can authenticity. Can we really, really, really think about the long term here we need but long term strategy people they're not even think do people even really want the long haul they just i want i, I want know. what I, I want i think a lot of people do want to have a long term relationship but they go into it again with this performative like trying to put their best foot forward and based on short term shit and one of the biggest things that keeps coming up for me right now is this idea of I just want to let my heart love what it loves. And so that is so different than where I was, you know, a few years ago where it was like I didn't even understand what my heart loved at that point to be quite honest. And because of that unawareness, because I hadn't taken the time to really like get to know myself on that level, I didn't even know what I wanted out of a relationship. And so trying to get back to where we were in terms of like presenting yourself as a you know someone who loves cooking if you're not because that's what we've been taught will get a man or presenting yourself as somebody who likes um something that a girl wants because you just want to get the girl that's short-term thinking long-term happiness is going to be where you're able to show up authentically and you're just creating disappointment for yourself and that person if you're going to portray yourself as anything but what you are. And what I'm saying is sometimes we're not doing that with awareness. But if you haven't taken the time to get to know yourself and you don't know like what makes you happy in terms of hobbies, in terms of spending time with yourself, figure that part out before because if you don't know that, then you can't even honestly share yourself with someone else if you don't know that you can't have a genuine orgasm (laughs) sorry i don't know girl there's a lot of vibrators out here that could really i know but think about spiritually by test they can but it's like if you don't know where to apply it or you know you still it comes back to the same thing you have to get to know yourself but the other point i wanted to make about selfishness i think the blockage that there is that makes things be characterized or what the lack there's a lack of something that's present that makes things be characterized as selfish and that is lack of communication Mm. because it's a lot of it is about perception even if you go back to the definition lack of consideration for others if you don't communicate about it, it yes. becomes someone else's perception. Can I? Can I? <laughs> can I? Give so, you some snacks? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I may have thought long and hard about like what I need, but sometimes, and this goes back to the societal norms, people don't feel affirmed or supported in choosing themselves. And so they tend to kind of stuff down and hide or flake out instead of saying hey i know we had plans this is what i need for myself i you know feel sorry i'm sorry that i can't do this right now but um i would like to do this with you later you know can you understand what what new terms can we kind of come to or this is how i'm feeling i've had a really long day I could show up, but I don't feel like it would be in the best interest of both of us. And when you come to someone and you communicate with them, 
Hopefully they will have some empathy and some compassion. They can remember time. And that is very different from, look, I don't want to do this and whatever I need to do, it's best for me. Right. That is that is selfish. But there may be times where if you're dealing with uh, a narcissist or somebody who doesn't care, there may be times. This is the asterisk of like you're talking to your friend, your partner, your Right. A family member. A co-worker. Who is reasonable. Yeah. Who is not a narcissist. <laughs> and so I just think that communication yeah. is the vehicle that can help mitigate the degree to which your actions are being perceived as selfish. And communication, again, can be a great teaching tool where, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the moment, but... When you start to feel that anxiety, panic, dread. owning it. Listen, so I think a huge part that people who aren't in awareness of, like, where they are with all of this, they will go and they'll have this need to, like, flake. They'll have the need to cancel the plans. But then they will project that onto the other person. So instead of being like, hey, I feel this way. This is what I need right now. I'm sorry, I know that you're probably disappointed. It turns into, I don't want to do this because you blah, blah, blah. And that is like the shutter down of all lines of communication. Staying with your feelings and staying empowered within that, even within your communication, is so important because you have the right to feel however you feel. You have the right to decide you want or not don't want to do something at any point in time. But taking that accountability and that ownership and being aware enough to communicate it in a way where you can do that will really help and I think go a long way in maintaining friendships and also being able to be selfish in a healthy way. I would like to destigmatize some of the you know aura around selfishness um, because I do think that's on a spectrum you know there's selfishness that can be destructive and can be something that you know you would want to get out of that shadow but there can also be a selfishness in a self-preservation healthy way that can be used and communicated to those around you without making them feel like they're not wanted or that they're not important so now i'm looking up self-centered on that note i think one thing that keeps coming up around this for me is just the power of awareness and how with consciousness, with awareness, it seems to me like there can be gifts found in our shadows, which I was telling you earlier. Sometimes we hear that saying, the only way is through. And what I have been finding in the shadows that I carry, which are like selfishness for once, arrogance, fear, the way that I've been working on being able to alchemize it, that I'm starting to see a lot of results from a difference in my feeling and vibration is instead of rejecting it completely embracing it owning it giving love to it making space for it and when I am feeling scared of something I just say it you know I am afraid of this and owning that and making space for it has been really calming so because you are not being out of alignment with yourself. When you feel something, but you try to just mentally mind trick yourself and say, I don't feel that. Your mind is like, bitch, yes the fuck you do. Like, and you're only adding to it. I don't want to feel that. It's a denial. It's It's a denial though, of a denial of what is. And that's just not how you're gonna move past anything because if you moving past something is predicated on you lying to yourself, I mean, that's just a little IED waiting yeah. to... I almost said IUD. <laughs> <laughs> also waiting very to, helpful for a I different mean, problem. <laughs> yeah, that's just like something that's like waiting to, to pop out. It's you going against yourself. You know, you're not being in alignment yeah. with who you are. And it's it's a form of like self-rejection and not acceptance so then you're kind of vilifying that you're saying i can't be that or i shouldn't be that and again your your body doesn't care your body's like look this is what's going on these hormones and these feelings are being felt and 
mentally just saying I shouldn't is not making any of this stuff dissipate, you know? And so then do you start to dissociate from yourself to better conform with what society says you should be or a good person is and I must not be a good person if I'm having these feelings where you're human you know what I mean your feelings are gonna run the gamut and the spectrum you feel is a natural feeling because you are nature you are human we are nature so understanding that whatever wells up within us wherever that is it's all okay your body wouldn't make that if it wasn't something that you were meant to experience or well, feel. And it's also not finite and absolute. Yeah. And just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you have to act in any certain way. You can have all the feelings in the world, but with awareness, then you know what when you're supposed to act on it and when you're not supposed to act on it. I think because we haven't learned how to process feelings... We think that we feel something, which means we have to act. Oh, I feel this. That means I act this way. Actually, no. You can feel. Sometimes you just have to observe. That's hard. Yeah. Like learning how to observe without engaging or without being controlled by it. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that you have to act on it. Um But, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility, but it requires an immense degree of loving kindness for yourself, especially when you're in the shadow areas and you're like, hey, this is not really a a quality that I consider to be desirable, but yet and still I have it. Am I a bad person or do I have to pour all this like paint and glitter and epoxy on top of it to make it seem like it's something that it's not and that's you know that's not the way you know when you you can't alchemize it if you pickle it and preserve it you know what I mean you're Mm -hmm. just um only holding it in its current form you can't you know work on it so you have to somewhat speak like truth to power and such a small thing as saying yes i am this or like i am mad or i am jealous like for me that would kind of Mm -hmm. be the thing the keeping up with the joneses such and such has such and such has like why don't i have and you can go down this infinite rabbit hole of like they don't deserve and i'm being slighted and blah 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 but all of that can be undone if you just say to yourself, you know what, I wish that I had what they had. And and that's the whole thing. Jealousy is an interesting one because it usually, it's showing you like what you want. It's showing you your desires. If you are jealous of something, it's for you to look at and get mm-hmm. information from because it's because you want something that you perceive this person or thing has that you don't. And so it's a window into a map for yourself. These are, think about that. Instead of jealousy being the thing that's supposed to make us feel awful and have us acting crazy. I mean, I think we've all been there where we are having irrational or rational feelings around that. What if we could all just remember like jealousy is something that is a pointer for us to look at to ourselves and what we really want and desire and then be able to go towards it. And resentment, again, talking about doing things and selfishness and when we're doing things from a space of either trying to run from being selfish or we are being selfish um, and we're not doing it in a healthy way and communicating, then what that usually causes is resentment, either resentment on the other person who you're affecting or the resentment yourself if you're going ahead and doing something that you're not fully aligned with at the time. And resentment is an emotion that's meant to show us where we need boundaries. You know, it's all a map. Look in your life. Where, where are you resentful? Where do you feel like I'm doing so much? Nobody cares. I'm not getting back what I put in. It's not fair. That is a great place for you to be able to look at and say, well, what, how am I not protecting myself? How am I betraying myself? And what boundaries do I need right here? Correct. And what are my motives? Is this performance? Am I doing this because I want to? 
or am I doing this because I feel like I need to or I want a certain yeah. degree of visibility, you 100%. know? Um, do I need to be seen in this way? One thing I love about our friendship is when we need to vent or say something, we will ask each other, like, hey, do you have capacity? Just a heads up, I need to talk about X, Y, Z. The check-ins, because we both have been friends through many relationships and through many different things in life. And there have been times before where, you know, we didn't used to do that. But now later in life, we have boundary around those type of things so that when we are engaged in those conversations, both of us are showing up to be able to give our attention, our ear. I think it just comes up when you have that check-in with yourself and say hey how full is my bucket you know what i mean yeah. how how much am i dealing with how much or what is the feeling that i have you know and it, i mean it can be difficult i can affirm like those you know i remember when those things kind of like started to develop. And I think for me on my side, there was probably some trepidation, like drawing a boundary. But again, it all goes back to communication. You know, you can't go on what society says is a friend. Driving you out of alignment with yourself. I think a lot of times we don't think about that. And I think, you know, for our kids, for our parents, there are definitely situations where certain people you would put in front of yourself, but... In certain circumstances, for sure. There are situations where, yes, you can put others before yourself. Again, you should have the capacity to do that. But usually in those situations, you do have capacity because there's something going on that is outside of something you'd be resentful for. Right. I I just think that the thing that influenced me so much being an only child is I didn't often have to consider other people, you know what I mean? So I could really make that strong connection with what resonated with me and how was I feeling. But I contend that knowing that, knowing myself, knowing kind of where I'm vibrating enables me to connect more genuinely deeply to give of myself more fully because i can feel truly contented like i'm not necessarily wanting for anything but i still have moments where you know you get consumed by the performance of it all and i have to stop and ask myself what is my motive here or have i communicated do i feel obligated you know obligation that used to be one that like really got me and so i would start to confirm or setting expectations like hey here's what i have capacity for like i've committed to this and just checking in with people you know i i think i used to have a lot of disappointment and judgment because i would have a time where I was supposed to do something with someone and they forgot or they blew it off. So I was like, okay, now let me not assume that everyone takes things as like Horton hears a who seriously (laughs) as I do. And so get those check-ins like, hey, I know we're supposed to talk tomorrow at six. Is that time still good for you? Yeah. Which again is communication. And communication is so important I did this training, like Crucial Conversations, and it definitely was a pivotal training for me because one of the kind of images that came out of it is that when people are at odds, there's usually some information that has not been exchanged. And so the whole goal of Crucial Conversations is to get opposing parties to pour into the pool of shared meaning which basically is to get people talking because you may have things to contribute things going on that you're assuming that I know or should know that I don't know until you pour them into the pool of shared yeah, meaning. Yeah, nobody's a mind reader and right. that's really important. I also think going back to what you were saying about checking in and being like, "Hey, I know we're supposed to talk tomorrow. Is it still good for you?" There's a really 
active role that the person who's having the change needs to be initiating. And I hear myself saying should, so I'm going to go ahead and pause. Whenever there's a should or expectation, I think that there's a moment for me to be able to pause and say like, okay, what, what is this thing? It feels like that works when you're not the only one doing the checking in, when the people you're engaging with are also active in communicating. Because if you get in a situation where over and over you're the one who's checking in and making sure and the other person's the one changing the plans, it can feel like there's a lopsidedness, which I think can cause resentment. And so with the crucial conversations, sorry, I'm just going to give you guys the cliff notes to that training. <laughs> um, the things that I got to take, a, my big takeaways from that is always to talk in I statements and then ask the other person, how do you see it? Or what's your perspective? So that's how you pour into the pool mm -hmm. of shared meaning. Here's my I statements. I observed this and it made me feel X, Y, Z. You know, can you shed some light? Yeah. Or yeah. is was that your intention? How did you mean? Like, what, what did you mean from that side? And invite someone to pour into the pool of shared meaning from their side With as curiosity. well. And right, um, appreciative inquiry, you know what I mean? It, so that it's not the Spanish Inquisition or like, how dare you? It's genuine curiosity. And I think when you come to people from that standpoint, they're like, oh, and then you can kind of clearly see like, oh, she didn't even know X, Y, Z. And why? Because I didn't tell her because I'm locked. We're each locked in our own thing. Everyone is seeing the world through their lens. And so um, reading Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements, and one of them is don't take things personally, which is immensely hard to do. But what he says is like the things that other people do is because of them. It's not because of you. But the way that I had to kind of internalize that is see so, that everyone's seeing through their own lens. Their own lens, their own filter. I understand that now because I know what the connection to inner child wounding, shadow work, and all of that means. And now understanding what we're talking about, which is we've all been taught patterns in childhood that set us up to run our programs on how we live our life and it's based on what we're modeled. And so now I get like the way people are acting is just a reflection of what they experienced in childhood or if they're on their journey and doing the work, it's just where they are within that work but still working on that, undoing that pattern. And the beautiful thing is like meeting so many people now who are aware of their own inner child wounding, who are aware of how they show up in relationships, friendships, at work, in all of these different ways and how that piece of them influences that. Even when they are acting out, they usually are able to have a conversation, take accountability and tell you like, you know, my bad, that was really not my best. I mean, it doesn't have to be like, oh, my bad, my inner child wounding had me be a jerk to you today. No, not everybody's gonna talk like that. Those are the people who can usually say like, I wasn't my best right then. And you know what, this is actually what I meant. And being exposed to people who can do that is new. And I would even venture to say that once you start on that journey of doing that work, you'll start attracting people who are on that level. <laughs> Because it's kind of like, where did you guys come from? How come all of a sudden, like, what's being mirrored back to me are people who are able to do these things? And Coltrane wants to join in on this. <laughs> he said he's at his best, always. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so we started off with selfishness and kind of ran the gamut on communication around selfishness. I think selfishness is sometimes used as a label when people encounter a boundary and they're not getting what they want. Ooh. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was talking about, like kind of a stigma or a negative trait being associated with an only child, totally see that. a label that's put on you. But I mean, you have to before you can label someone truly selfish, I feel like you have to at least attempt communication. 
if you can communicate like how somebody is acting that maybe you're perceiving as selfish to them and let them know like how it's affecting you and they have the capacity to hear you out and then also communicate you know well this is what it is for me the hope is that when you are making a selfish decision like not to show up or something that you know the person that you're engaging with might perceive as selfish the hope is that you can just communicate on the front end and say what it is about so they're not personalizing it and thinking it's about them hopefully they're emotionally mature enough to take that for granted but not everybody will be and i will say like even those who can be sometimes might have an off day or might be sensitive or might be in a space where they do need that communication to feel secure like hopefully when you're doing those things you can just communicate what's going on to whoever is party to what's happening all you can do is try but again i think it's kind of like baby steps and people may need a guide like hey i feel this feeling I want to or I don't want to XYZ. Maybe sometimes you need to sit with that and figure out what is the root of the root and the bud of the bud. And then when you know, like, hey, let somebody know what's going on. I think that takes us full circle. I mean, do what you like, you know, just know that communicate what you put out, it will find its way back to you. And so, you know, you don't, you don't have, people don't have to change, trust and believe. There's that saying, garbage in, garbage out. And so if you've been getting a lot of garbage lately, you might want to think about what it is that you're contributing or are you keeping that same energy? Because that's the other, you know, adage. Everything is a mirror. Yes, but also the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I think sometimes Jesus gets tired and is like, fuck, okay, let me change it. <laughs> Enough of this Jesus take the wheel. Yeah. You take the wheel. Right. Or, like your car. I, or I'm letting go of the wheel and we'll just see who picks <laughs> it up. Crash. Is it going to be Gabriel crash. or Lucifer? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's be surprised together. No, you want to be an active participant in your life. If you're not an active participant in your life, then... You can't be mad at anyone but yourself if you wind up in the mountains when you really wanted to go to the beach. All right. Well, join us next week when we talk about who knows what. Bye for now, y'all. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you know when a new episode airs. Also, feel free to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. For show feedback and requests, reach out to us at speakup at the-unlearning.com. You can also follow us at the-unlearning.podcast on Instagram or check out the show blog at the-unlearning.com.